Wow, what a sunny day. So sunny. So bright outside. Mm -hmm. There's so much sand everywhere. I don't remember. Yes, and there's no... Oh, when all the sand came in, It, but... it blew in um, from, from the vast desert that spans the world. There's also no shade. Yeah. Because almost all organic life has died. Yeah, it's a real bummer, but we're here on Draft the Universe. Days! Days. Woo! Yeah, and we're just here, just hanging out. Telling the truth. Yeah, just truth. Truth. On this podcast, and we're gonna... Oh, hold on. It looks like, looks like we're ready to get a traffic report from Ben the Traffic Guy. Yep. He is in a uh, military helicopter with one of those shark faces painted on it. I think he's got a couple of missiles, too. Sweet. And all of the traffic is shut down on Highway 5 because all the cars are on fire. Oh, wow. And back to you guys. Oh, 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 oh. 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 Oh, 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 and the, yep, the helicopter crashed. Yep, that's, you know uh, what, you know, it, it was definitely a bad call to send a junkie up into the air with absolutely no help. Yeah. He I, didn't even know how to fly a helicopter when he wasn't on heroin. No, he didn't, but we figured he would learn quick, and that's the truth. Truth. He did not learn quick, though. No, he didn't. I'll, I'll be, to be fair, he got it up into the air. That was quite surprising. Yeah, he he got more more height than I was expecting, and then perhaps cool. too much height. What's that in the distance? Do you hear? Do you hear? Is that a rove of banding thieves? A band of roving thieves? Perhaps? A band of roving thieves? Or is that the theme song? Hello, Internet, and welcome back to Draft the Universe. This is the Nerd Fight Battle Royal. This is the podcast where we pick a topic, pick our favorites, and then fight to the death, or maybe just for bragging rights. I'm Jafar. I'm Chris. And I'm Ben. And everyone is still alive here. It's true. I did That's... not crash a helicopter, despite what the, what uh, <laughs> what you may have been tricked in by our miraculous editing in the cold open. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh it's a little known fact and probably something that we don't address enough, but what happens before the theme song is uh universally fiction. As opposed to everything that happens after the theme song, which is very, very, very real. Except for how arch you got saying that. That is definitely an affectation. Yeah, well no, that was just me emphasizing the point. Yeah. Yeah. But but everything everything that we've told you is real. That this this podcast does happen in a bunker mm -hmm. um ben's we're, we're definitely underground right now ben's son um definitely is leading now um there are there are a few thousand man spiders yeah and he's starting to attract some i don't know how, what to call them other than goblins i i they can't be humans they're too small no and ugly um but they certainly love him and they hmm. worship him um and they're constructing a fairly large statue of him I mean, yeah, I mean, he's he's accomplished a lot for a baby. Yeah. I mean, it's a really bad statue. They're not very good at it. Um, but they're trying. They're trying. The they're trying real hard, but it's like a chocolate statue, 
and they just generate so much heat. <laughs> so really, it's just like, it's, a, it's an awful mess. I wish they hadn't decided to build it in my room. Oh, 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 Segway guy misses one Segway in the history of the podcast, and all of a sudden everything shuts down. Because you introduced the next bit. <laughs> oh, oh, there is something. I was guys, guys, ready? Joker, Dark It's fine, guys. Are you ready? You ready for this? Hit the stinger. <laughs> Resident visions. I'm not in the mood. Not in the mood. Moods a thing for cattle and love play, not fighting. Not in the mood for details. Now you listen to me. Details, and I want them right now. I don't have a job. I have no place to go. You're not in the mood. Well, you get in the mood. Resident visions of Dune. Resident visions of Dune. <laughs> It's just called Vision. You're not in the mood! You <laughs> get in the mood! <laughs> Welcome to Visions of Dune, our podcast's podcast within a podcast, the only podcast within a podcast dedicated exclusively to news about the upcoming Dune film in at, 2020. At least the only podcast within a podcast in this podcast. Well, it is, yes. That, that is yeah. true as well. But I'm fairly certain that there is no other podcast that has a podcast within it dedicated to Dune. Um, so we got some news to discuss here. Um, I, okay. thought, I thought we should do a roundup of all of the people who had been cast for Doom. Oh, I mean, okay. If, if, if you want. Because these are like gritty reboots of previous actors. Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, so just to, to, to preface this, Dune by Denis Villeneuve. 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 Yeah, he's, okay. He's French, I think, so probably Villeneuve. Villeneuve um, is uh, directing uh, a version of the sci-fi epic Dune, which is my favorite novel. Um, you might have heard us talk about this before, um, but you're going to hear us talk about it every episode now. Every episode? Because somebody made me an audio stinger and we're going to use it. <laughs> so now every episode is going to have some Dune Let's news in it. Let's not have every episode. I mean... If there's something worth talking about, you can bring it I feel it like it will. there will be more episodes the closer we get to the release as the hype train rolls a bit harder. So, um, topping the list, of course, Tim Timothy Chalamet, Paul Atreides. That was um, Chalamet. I might be Chalamet. Maybe this podcast is just us figuring out how to pronounce people's names. Um, Oscar Isaac uh, as uh, Duke Leto. Uh, um, yeah. Zendaya. As Chani, are you uh, ja Javier Bardem? Javier Bardem as Stilgar. I'm really looking forward to Javier Bardem as Stilgar, guys. Do <sighs> you because because you know in like the second because they're doing it in two parts, so you're gonna get to see Stilgar be a badass, right? Because mm -hmm. Javier Bardem, I, I know how to say his name. Uh, can be a badass. Yes. The great thing about Stilgar's character is that at the very end of Dune, he becomes Moovgar and he gets it all done. <clears throat> um, Paul Atreides has, you know, unleashed his jihad upon the universe, um, and he sees the the light go out of Stilgar's eyes as he goes from being a person who is like an independent leader of a tribe to being somebody who has bought into the mythos and is now essentially seeing 
Paul wants his friend as the, you know, the godhead at the head of this uh, religious holy war. Um, so it'd be very interesting to see that. I think Javier Bardem has the, uh, the, the gravitas to pull that moment off. Man, spoilers, Chris. For a 60-year-old book, 70-year-old book, damn. Mm -hmm. Time. For a yeah. movie that's not out yet, Ben. Yeah. Spoilers for a movie that's not out yet. Well, yeah, Stellan, maybe we can add a, a, a spoilers stinger. <laughs> can you work one up for me? You can, if you want a spoiler stinger, you can fucking make it, Chris. So we got Stellan Skarsgård. Um, not the boat. As Vladimir Harkonnen, Rebecca Ferguson from Mission Impossible Fallout, um, which I, I, I still don't know. Where, I don't think I've seen that film. As Jessica Atreides, Charlotte Rampling as the Reverend Mother Mohayim, Jason Momoa, who you might know uh, from Ben. Uh, Baywatch Hawaii. Thank yeah. You. Was, yeah. <laughs> see, I wanted to make a joke, but I didn't know the least memorable way to introduce Jason Momoa. Um, he sings in that show. He's not very good. If there's ever a actor's least memorable roles trivia night, we're taking Ben and just cleaning house. <laughs> <laughs> He's playing Duncan Idaho. Um, and uh, Josh Brolin is going to be playing Gurney Halleck. Josh Brolin, just this week, um, uh, this is the, the newest bit of Dune news because right now, not a lot of news. It just started filming. Okay. Josh Brolin is getting fucking ripped uh, for his role. Uh, Was as... he not fucking ripped for his role as Cable? Maybe. I don't know. He, I don't know if they mo-capped him for, for Thanos or not. Maybe in between. B regardless, this is, uh, this is Josh Brolin. Yeah. You mean Josh Swollen? Yes, Josh Swollen. Um, looking, looking pretty, pretty swole there. Uh, yeah. Which kind of leads me in, into the, the, the last thing I want to mention about this film, which is, man, there sure is a lot of beefcake in this film. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say, man, it really makes you want uh, Goonies too. Because <laughs> you've got Jason Momoa, um, <laughs> Josh Brolin, Dave Batista. Yeah. Batista, buddy. Buddy guy, Batista. <laughs> you know, even Javier Bardem is kind of like a bigger dude. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of swole, swole people. Yeah. Um, yeah. You have something to tell us, Chris? Um, well, David Destmalchin was the other person. Oh, okay. Peter DeVries. Um, you might know him from Ant-Man and the Wasp or as uh, the one tweaked out henchman from the Nolan Batman films. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, we don't have a Dune outro. Yeah, we'll just play it. We'll just play this, the, the stinger. This has been Visions of Dune. Prescient Visions of Dune. No, no, it's just Visions of Dune. It, the stinger clearly says Prescient Visions of Dune. This has been Prescient Visions of Dune. All right, there we are. Okay, and we have delivered here, uh, especially for us. Have we ever figured out, if is, is it the uh, draft master or is it the commissioner that gives us the, the criteria? I don't think we know. Okay, because it's always just delivered to me to deliver to you guys. And it is a sandpaper box full of sand that just says gritty on it. That's kind of... Apt. It's apt. Maybe it's a little redundant. Um, Maybe it's a little rude. It's on the nose, definitely. Okay. Well, it's on the table. All yes. right, Chris. <laughs> well, you go ahead and reach into that box because the first match is Ben versus Jaffer. Okay. Now, be careful. 
if I know anything about reaching into sand, it's either full of worms or seti eels. It's okay. I will reach um, in without making a discernible rhythm. That way, the old old man of the desert, Shai Hulud, will not hear. Um, Can Shai Hulud fit in that box? Because right now I'm um, concerned about seti alpha. Seti eels? Seti eels, yeah. Um, so, sh- uh, unless not- you have a giant foam ear, you're safe. So, not Shai Hulud himself. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I'm making Wrath of Khan jokes. <laughs> they land. They land. It's all right. Not Shai Hulud himself, no. Um, but the vector form of, of the sandworm of Arrakis, uh, the sand trout, uh, could fit in a box like this. Um, so if I reach in and it attaches itself to my flesh, um, I'm sorry, guys, but I will have started upon a road that you cannot accompany me, accompany me on. Is um, it because we have to kill you immediately after? I assume no, it's going to take over your mind and no. we have to like so, no, 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 it doesn't, mercy it killing. Doesn't, it doesn't work that that quickly. What I do is I plaster the sand trouts all over myself like a living still suit and then over the course of thousands of years I become a sandworm. But once I've got the sand trouts on, on me, um, which by the way, in order to do, I will have to be very heavily dosed with the water of life. Um, so you have some of that? No, no, no water or life. Okay. It might be in the fridge. Well, I don't know how I don't know now if I should reach into this box if we're not properly provisioned for the um, eventuality of me becoming Do you really think the commissioner would let us go into something unprepared? That's fair. Okay. Reaching in. Ow. <clears throat> oh, that's just a scorpion, Chris. You'll be fine. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um Yep. Nope, just sand. Okay. I'm not finding anything in here, guys. It's just sand. Alright. Well maybe, that's good. You think maybe we're supposed to just read a handful of sand? Okay. Um, give it a go. Don't. We have to pick. And I know you were ready, but Ben, you got uh, first pick. I will go with Batman Begins. All right. And I will go with... Eh, we'll start off normal and get weird. Star Trek Discovery. Okay. Oh, man. I was hoping to do Star Trek off against you next time, but okay. N- no, I am not that foolish. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm staring at this handful of sand, um, and I think I know what this says. Um, turn that frown upside down. Turn that gritty reboot smooth. All right. Okay. In other words, take all that grit. Sand your reboot. Yeah. So, one of the best things about Batman is how versatile the character is. Uh, it is a character that can fit in to a lot of different uh, genres and uh, roles. As long as there are shadowy corners of rooftops for him to stand broodingly on. I mean, uh, yeah, but I mean, some of the cartoons are a lot brighter and... You know, in some cases, sillier and f- more fun, uh, mm-hmm. you know, than than some of the other ones. And I believe the current trend in Batman in film has shown that they've kind of pushed the grittiness too far. Um, I believe a lot of people who really love Batman will say, Ben Affleck is not the problem with the new Batmans. It's how they're writing Batman. Martha! He's also also no longer Batman, so... Which is... I feel bad. He deserved better Batman movies. Um, And 
the things that they're doing to the DC universe, they are trying to yes and the Nolan verse and get gritty and uh, dark. And I believe what we really need is kind of a rebound from that. Comic book movies have gotten too dark. And we need something. It doesn't need to be, you know, 60s camp Batman. But you can do something lighter and more fun where it's Batman doing the detective stuff. There are some Batman villains that are smart, they are interesting, and they are funny. And you can have him be going up against, you know, the Mad Hatter and, uh, um, oh, just describe, the, just describe them. The twins that are also from, <laughs> uh, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's not Humpty Dumpty, it's, it's uh, Tweedledee and Tweedled, Tweedledum. Yeah. You know, because they have a bunch of Batman villains inspired by Alice in Wonderland. Mm-hmm. And they are on the nose, silly, ridiculous, and... It can be fun to just watch Batman have to, you know, overthink these these characters that he can easily overpower. It's the catching them that's the fun part. And they can, you know, have him be, you know, have his, have a new Robin. Have somebody we haven't seen on screen before. If it's a Tim Drake, if it's, uh, you know, somebody new. And you can have it be the fun interplay of Batman and Robin Kraken wise while they try to hunt down Alice in Wonderland inspired villains. All right. All right, Chris. So we want to smooth out Star Trek Discovery, right? Okay. We want to take the gritty out of this gritty reboot. How 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 gritty is it? Star Trek Discovery, I mean fairly gritty as far as Star Trek gets. It does, I mean the the first episode is set in a desert mostly, right? Yeah, the, I mean, the cold open is. Yeah, yeah, the cold open set in a desert. It's a hot open. The uh, first season uh, takes the uh, takes place over a war with the Klingons. Um, there's an extended set of episodes where they spend time in the evil Mirror universe, where everyone's a douchebag. Um, you know, Captain uh, Tilly, Ensign Tilly, our lighthearted favorite uh, character, is Captain Killy. In the in the mirror universe, Tilly is the best. <laughs> Tilly's great. Um, so what I want to do is I want to first off I need to scrap all this conflict, right? Okay. So we're gonna go ahead and set it in a different time period. So Star Trek Discovery, we're gonna go ahead and take it like a hundred years in the future, right? Okay. So uh, this is a Federation without war here, you know. So we don't have to worry about any of that nonsense. Gotcha. Uh, none of that war, no mere universe stuff. We're going to cut all that. We're going to do an entire season series with no mere universe stuff. <laughs> now, the captain in Discovery is Lorca, who himself is from the mere universe and is just a douchebag who doesn't care about science, which I always felt was very un-Star Trek. So I want someone who, instead of focusing on the present, focuses on the past and is also a scientist. So I think our captain's going to be maybe an archaeologist of some kind. Um, and he's going to be um, a very well-spoken dude. Um, I mean, gender doesn't really matter too much for this particular role, uh, but just keeping it as it is transposed. Using the, the gender-neutral neut- dude. Yeah. Um, sure. Yeah, yeah, just to be clear, I'm not... Uh, the gender doesn't matter. Just someone who is uh, very well-spoken, 
probably British. Um, I mean, that's... Yeah, it just it adds to the whole thing. Um, so, you know, has an accent. Maybe the accent isn't quite right for the character and their backstory, but we're not going to worry about any of that. <laughs> um, you know, maybe they made wine or something. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Okay, okay so the crew around them that uh, Discovery focuses mostly on uh, Burnham, who is... Uh, First officer at the very beginning of the show, and then not first officer for most of the show, and then kind of first officer again at the end of the first season. They don't really say. Um, so we're going to focus in building out that crew, and one thing we're going to do with that is we're going to include a lot of multicultural aspects like the original Star Trek did. Um, which Discovery has some of, but they're, none of them are really characters in the first season. So I want to put a Klingon on the bridge, just okay. off the bat, just to show that the war is over, the conflict's resolved. Sure. Um, maybe, like, a weird alien who has empathy powers or something. Um, something sure. Something to show that everyone can kind of get along, yeah, you yeah. know? What about synthetic life? Yeah, totally. I think well, like Arium. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We've got that in Discovery, and we can do it. Um, no spoilers for the last season. I'm trying to avoid all that. Um, but yeah, something with synthetic life, uh, cooperatively working around, trying to discover their humanity as it were being synthetic, totally on board. Um, so I think we're going to do that too. Okay. And you definitely want a helms person with some sort of augmentation. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. We have that in discovery right now. We've got a helms person who has a cybernetic eye and augmentation. I definitely want to keep someone in the crew with some kind of disability that they have been able to work through through perseverance and the power of technology. Oh, like like alopecia? Uh, I mean, it could be any number of things, really. I don't want to I don't want to pigeonhole it. Is alopecia a character from Star Trek? I don't remember. Maybe. Maybe it is. So yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Um, you know, Star Trek Discovery 100 years in the future, British captain who's an archaeologist. Um, and not a lot of, uh, strife and conflict. Yeah. Hmm. I'm really excited for this next generation of Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's going to be great. You know, Jafar's idea <laughs> is so novel and new. Um, I'm, I'm really excited for this. Yeah. Um, and the only way that I see th I see that we can get to this future is if I give the point to you, and then you go off and you make this happen. I'll, I'll do the best I can to get that on Netflix right away, Chris. Okay. Um, well, Just, ma make it so. I will. I will. I will. I say. Okay. That's kind of bullshit, guys. <laughs> <laughs> like, I actually made a pitch. He just said Star Trek The Next Generation. Like, nah. <laughs> Fine. Okay. You focused... <laughs> on two of my least favorite Batman villains. <laughs> yeah, but I'm making a happy-go-lucky, smooth Batman uh, show or I movie. Made a, I made a happy Star Trek show. It's It took two years for it to be happy. <laughs> the first season of Next Gen's rough. I'm currently yeah. watching through it with Glow, and we're about nine episodes in, and she just looked at me and goes, Does this show ever get good? Right. Oh, man, I tried watching it with Ellen in order, and we got to Code of Honor, and it's just like, we couldn't finish it. It's so bad. See, the problem is, even after Code of Honor, we're oh, in episode nine, and the best episode is The Battle, the weird Ferengi one, and it's not 
good. It's just the first one that's not bad. Where No Man <laughs> Has Gone Before is goodish. Although you might not have seen it. To, that one's weird because it's second in production order, but it, like it's tenth third. in weird or air order or something. It was the I think the third yeah, episode. It's depending on what platform you're watching it on. The ep- where that episode is changes spots. Well, we've already seen it. So okay. Yeah. All right. Next match is Jafer versus Chris. All right. I'm reaching into the sand. Yep, just scoop up a handful. All right. And I noticed that if you kind of like, if you if the light hits it just right, the question forms in your mind. I've talked to the commissioner before. I understand how this works. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Um, I've got first pick, and I think I'm going to go with uh, good old 43, George W. Bush. Okay. Um... And I'm going to go with uh, the prelude to good old 45. Oh, boy. This is going to be interesting. The 2016 election. All right, Chris. You can't spell reboot without boot. Design a piece of tie-in merch for your pick. (laughs) Oh, this writes itself. Paintings. (laughs) George W. Bush's paintings. They're probably going to be worth a fair amount of money at some point in the future. That's true. Um... They'll definitely be collector's items of some variety. They might not be art collector's items, but they will be collector's <laughs> items. Um, Absolutely. Which, I don't want to talk too much shit about that, because one, I can't paint at all. I've tried. I'm miserable at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and his stuff, not as bad as one would expect. He's by no means Picasso <laughs> running around, but he's better than Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> At painting. God, I'm, you I'm know, glad no, you brought on. a clipping no, machine hold on. in, Ben. Hold on a second. Because he might not be. No, I've seen Hitler's paintings. Hitler was a, a competent painter, and George W. Bush is, is conceptually a better artist. Um, just as, as a shout-out here, um, George W. Bush decided that after he got out of... Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. After he got out of um, the op- out of uh, politics, he decided that he wanted to paint, and what he chose to paint was the people who had been dismem- like disfigured or dismembered uh, in a- active military that, service. That is a thing that he did. Yeah, that's yeah. not all that he's painted. Not all of it, no. But um, um, but that's one of the mo- more prominent series that I've seen, and I think that that is a really interesting concept. It's an interesting way to confront your own legacy. Um, yeah. So yeah. Um, looks like he did one where Saddam was a clown. Um, that's interesting. Uh, there's one of, that's not a bad one of Churchill that he did. Yeah. Um, that's actually, that's not a bad Jay Leno he painted. (laughs) So lots of portraits. Um, I've never actually seen Hitler's artwork because I don't want to Google Hitler anything. Uh, just because it's really, it's really going to throw off your AdSense. Oh wow! Okay, uh, it's very traditional, but it yeah. is very, very competent. It would not be out of place in a mall lobby or a hotel um, lobby. It wouldn't be out of place on a fucking greeting card. Uh, what's that guy? The guy who does all the landscapes that are super generic. Oh, uh, oh, I have two of them. Uh, uh, sorry, he's he's not a painter. He's a painter of light. Thomas Kincaid. Yes. Yeah, that's kind of 
You know, that's feels, okay. Do you know? Because I always confuse you, him with the groundskeeper yeah. from Skyfall. <laughs> <laughs> do you know who is worse than Hitler in all <laughs> conceivable um, dimensions of measurement? Thomas Kincaid. <laughs> oh, geez, that's harsh. Thomas Kincaid is a bad person. Okay. Well, right. uh, why don't we talk about the 2016 election, Chris? And um, your tie-in merch. My tie-in merch. Uh, so, you know what? Art is a good investment. Props, right? But arts um, arts value g- grows slowly over time. Um, you know, and you really only get to check in on that value when paintings change hands, which, due to the nature of a single person's artistic output over the course of their life, and also considering that George W. Bush, you know, only is painted since he got out of office, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a slow burn, but it will be worth something. Do you know what really drives up the value of so, of something? Uh, is is a a, a, a global event, mm-hmm. right? Okay. When I was in Kansas City, um, for the eclipse last year, um, I could not buy a pair of glasses to look at the eclipse. Yeah, rarity. Um, you know, supply and demand. Supply and demand. If I had wanted to buy a pair of those glasses, um. And I did, and I could have found somebody. That person could have conceivably charged me anything for them because it was very high demand. It was a once in a lifetime kind of thing. Yep. Um, so what I'm going to propose is, um, with a great dis- degree of uh, verisimilitude, right? Very realistic. Um, Donald Trump effigies to be burnt in the streets, um, either during the coming revolution or after the coming apocalypse. It will either be a very cathartic experience. Or a kind of shaking your fist at the statue of the Statue of Liberty kind of experience. But either way, it will be worth millions of dollars or um, all of the available foodstuffs that you have on you. Hmm. All right. So, two pieces of art. Uh, One to hang on your wall, one to angrily burn. Um, I have to say that... In a future where everything's on fire, burning something sometimes seems redundant. But in a world where we can consume everything digitally, actually buying art sometimes feels redundant. Um, Fair. But uh, when it comes to a piece of tie-in merch... Uh, a lot of times, people want to go for the big thing. You don't want something small. You want that crazy outlandish piece. And I feel like the million-dollar Trump effigy is the big piece. All right. Thank you. I was afraid that I had um, <clears throat> I had brought my B-game because it occurred to me afterwards that Donald Trump pinatas was a very funny thing to do. Um <laughs> Donald Trump floats because <laughs> he's full of hot air. It's, it writes itself, Chris. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of there's actually I think there was a Donald Trump float. In, oh yeah, it's a thing. No, yeah. no, no. In a, in a in a parade, literally this week in Detroit. Uh, there's like a yeah. one. There's like a handful of them that are like making the rounds. Yeah. Also, when I went to so, go see Roger Waters um, in 2017, which I have the shirt on from. Oh cool. Um, Is that pick? What? No. Okay. What is Steampig? Steampig is an art installation that was in Grand Rapids uh, that's really, really cool. It is a giant pig with barrels, uh, <laughs> and it's a uh, uh, 
steampunk pig that is like a dirigible. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, no, so Pink Floyd famously had like an inflatable floating pig as a a set piece of a couple of their concerts following the uh, release of the album Animals, Mm -hmm. which of course has the opening and closing song of uh, Pigs on the Wing. Uh, and at the Roger Waters concert that I went to, um, they had a inflatable pig that was controlled by drones. So it was very agile and could move around. Um, and it had Donald Trump's face on the side of it. All right. <laughs> Saying, welcome to the machine. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> All right. Well, we don't have to welcome the machine necessarily, but that depends on your two picks, Chris and Ben. You're next up. That was a good segue. Thanks. You're getting you're getting good at this. Um, Been at it for a minute. <laughs> I'm gonna go with Batman '89. Okay. Huh. Now I'm mad. I did Batman Begins. Okay. Um, I will do Battlestar Galactica. Okay. Your criteria. What's the biggest mistake your reboot made, Chris? Oh boy. I have a very strong opinion about this one. And I don't know if it technically applies to your pick or not. It depends on. Is it the Bob action figure? To. I think so, it's the Bob action figure. I'm pretty sure I had a Bob action figure. <laughs> oh, that's sad. <laughs> I had a lot of action figures from that movie. But no. Let's uh, do your thing. Ben will do his thing. We'll render judgment. And if it's not the thing that I was thinking of. We'll talk about what a damn shame it was. Okay. Um, I know you agree with me. It just might not be something that's sure, it's the in pr- the purview. There's, oh man, there's a lot of things that I could point at. Um, I mean, sterling silver trays don't stop bullets is one okay. <laughs> that comes to mind. Um, making Harvey Bullock into a gross, like super gross, like corrupt cop felt like... They, I don't know. Mm-hmm. He's he's usually kind of corrupt, but he's usually the character that can be like kind of redeemed. Yeah, like, yeah. He's like he's dirty, but he's but he's not all the way down. Um, I mean, the Joker shoots the bat plane out of the sky with okay with a super long barreled revolver. Um, There's a bunch of options here, but I want to know the worst. The worst. I want to know the the biggest offender. Um, it has to be the get nuts scene. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm I'm gonna I'm I'm end up gonna probably par I'm I'm going to end up parroting some of what Kevin Smith has said on this topic, but it feels like that scene um, was a gift to Michael Keaton who had maybe been angling to do something really weird with the character that didn't make a lot of sense. Um, and so, yeah, so just that one scene okay, uh, in, in a movie where Batman is portrayed as an unstable psychopath, um, that sticks out. Okay. If right now we want to stick in, there is also a bit in Seinfeld where uh, 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 Jason Alexander goes, you want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. <laughs> so, <laughs> yep. All right, Ben. 
How many characters in Battlestar Galactica are actually angels? One or three? Two or three? I believe Depen three. Depending on what you count and what you don't count. It depends a lot. And the fact that we don't know how many characters in Battlestar Galactica are actually angels well, is a problem. <laughs> okay, so, I mean, are you counting um, Red Dress 6 and On Caprica Gaius as their appropriate visions to the other? I'm talking about them at the end when they're walking through modern day, uh, I believe, New York. I, saying, like, oh, these guys are going to do it all again. I don't know that they count as angels in particular. Um, but okay, then, I see I see where the problem comes and in, And Starbuck though. is an angel, but she doesn't know she's an angel, and she's an asshole, so she's a dick angel. Um, <laughs> dick angel. Magician. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's be clear here. This is all in, like, a pseudo-Greek Mormon mythology. Oh, I understand. So yeah. probably they're not angels so much as they are, like, avatars of Greek gods. I think that there's a big scene where Starbuck goes to the Temple of Artemis, and it kind of makes sense. Yeah. So maybe Starbuck coming back after having died in the, uh, the gas giant is just Artemis leading humanity. Okay. You know, to safety. Okay, I can see that. Um, the fact that we don't know in our really cool, gritty sci-fi show is a problem. The fact that we don't know, and I believe today, ten years ago, was the finale of Battlestar Galactica, by the way. It was, I saw that. Um, I'm gonna, the, the recording, the day of this recording. Yeah, the day of this recording. Um, that's a, it's an interesting coincidence. It is just a coincidence, uh, unless Ben is actually also... A dick angel. Magic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, I'm going to give Ben the point. Um, not because Get Nuts isn't terrible, and not because I think my thing is better. Get Nuts is miserable, to be clear. Uh, but I'm going to give Ben the point because it's been a decade, and we're still not entirely sure what happened. And they could have really spent some time to clean that bit with Starbuck up. I would have appreciated I would that. just like to point out that we are in 100% certainty, certainty, 100% uh, certainty, that the get nuts scene actually happened and was not some sort of dream. Agreed. Um, yeah, no, it's bad. We know that it happened. It did. Yeah. Um, you know, just uncertainty. Is, I don't know. That's just, that's what I'm feeling has been pissing me off lately. So I'm going to go with that. Okay. Um, that said... The thing we can commiserate over, and I did not hold this against you and when I was rendering judgment. Sure. What a goddamn shame Billy D. Williams didn't get to play Two Face. Yeah. Yeah. That's a that yeah, that's a problem with the sequel, not with Yeah, yeah. exactly. And yeah. that's why it's like, eh, it's like I, I thought it and I'm all like, this is my big problem, and then it's like, eh, that doesn't that doesn't really apply to Batman. On 89. the other hand, he got a huge payoff. Not to have to be in Batman uh, and uh, Batman forget or Batman, Batman forever. forever. Yeah, Batman Forever, which is the best outcome anyone involved in Batman Forever had for their career. Yeah, he got a ton of money to not be in a bad movie. <laughs> what a puzzling choice for uh, Tommy Lee Jones, right? Right. Just money, 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 money. Yeah. Are you guys sad we never got uh, the fifth one with uh, um, Scarecrow and uh, oh, who who do they want to have play Scarecrow? It was uh, oh, why am I blanking on his name? 
Johnny Depp. No, no. Uh, Edward. No, I. I Macaulay uh, Culkin. Like, what are we talking about? No, here? it's uh, Jeff Goldblum. Ooh. Oh, okay. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Sure. Yeah, fear finds a way. All right. The next match is Jafer versus Ben. Okay. Okay. I'd just like to do a callback to probably the best thing I ever suggested on this show, which is uh, Jonathan Groff is the Riddler. <laughs> just re reminding people I came up with that. He'd be a pretty good. He'd be a pretty good Riddler. It would be a fantastic. Can you imagine like a musical version of an Arrow style Batman show where Jonathan Groff is the Riddler is like. Doing a mu doing musical numbers in which he asks Batman riddles, it would be fantastic. It'd be fantastic. Um, what's not fantastic is my pick, which is anti vaxxers Okay. Okay, Ben. Uh. Well, you have anti vaxxers I've got a show where I believe one of the main antagonists would be an anti vaxer I'm going to go with Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. Who's an anti-vax? I'm guessing Kai Wynn is anti-vax. Oh, I just didn't consider her our main character. But yeah, I can see that being a thing. Okay. Um, well, this is apropos. Uh, which reboot has the best antagonist? <laughs> okay. Um, um, and I believe that says antagonist or antagonists. Yes. Okay. Um, well, I'll go ahead and start with measles. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, so measles obviously on the rise. Um, just, just to put in perspective though, if measles is your antagonist, that means that nuclear weapons were the antagonist of Battlestar Galactica and not Gaius Baltar. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to antagonist. What are you talking about? He was the president. He was the good guy. Uh, I'm, don't worry. <laughs> I'm going other places with this. Gotcha. Okay. Um, mainly Jenny fucking McCarthy, uh, mm. who, uh, very proudly takes credit for a lot of the modern anti-vax movement in America, uh, which just shows how dumb someone can be. Really. It's just... <sighs> I get so angry. I'm getting... Sorry. I need a second. It's just like... Do you blame her before you blame Dr. Wakefield? Dr. Wakefield at least tried to walk back. It was too well, late. But... after he got his license revoked. Yeah, no, I'm antagonists but yeah. yes that is where i was going ben it's been revoked this is why i have to do pauses and tell you not to ruin my bit before i get there sometimes I'm sorry it's fine yes dr wakefield the doctor who wrote the report is probably the uh i don't know dr wiley of anti-vaxxers uh, Wait, what the, is, is that the main villain who keeps coming back okay um even when they don't want to. Fair enough. Yeah, just... Uh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Also, Facebook mom groups. <laughs> <sighs> Man, what's the point of this podcast, huh? <laughs> ben? Talk about Star Trek. So, the best thing about Star Trek Deep Space Nine is its, story its serialized storytelling allowed for... Long-form villains. Previous iterations of Star Trek had one-off villains of the week. Even for reoccurring uh, uh, villains like the Romulans or the Klingons, they'd bring in different Romulans and different Klingons to be the bad guys. 
where for uh, Deep Space Nine, you got the amazing Gul Dukat, who is basically Space Hitler, um, who is... is, he, is he, but is he as good a painter, Ben? Uh, no. No, he's not. But he is a constant threat throughout all of, all of Deep Space Nine, and he goes from being lawful evil to chaotic evil to a guy you can kind of work with against a bigger evil to the biggest evil uh, throughout the course of, of the show. And it's never a giant paradigm shift. It is always incrementally pushed that he becomes different versions of the worst guy in the room. Then you get Kai Wen, who is uh, the evil space pope uh, that uh, she plays so great a villain that her turn as Nurse Ratched in uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest seems tame. You know, she blows up a school and it's not even the most evil thing she does. Then you get Wayun, played by Jeffrey Combs, who I believe should play every character in every Star Trek show ever. Uh, <laughs> and he is the the face of the Dominion, the bad guy for seasons 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7 of Deep Space Nine. And he is the smiling, sycophantic face of the bad guy. He's the guy who's there, he's being nice, and he will happily kill you the second he is told to. I mean, he won't kill you. He will tell his, his the Jem'Hadar to kill you. But has he, Andy, has Andy Serkis ever played a Star Trek character? I don't believe so. I don't think so. No yeah, missed opportunity there. But yeah, Discovery. See, there's a lot of Star Trek coming up. So yeah, sure. But uh, I believe the top three Star Trek villains are all in Deep Space Nine. Interesting. I'm at an impasse here. I was waiting for some sort of like, are you burnt? Oh, no, but that, <laughs> no, that's not the line. <laughs> I know, but it, but I was. I are was, you at an underpass or I, an overpass? I was heavily implying the line. <laughs> Fair enough. <clears throat> On one hand, Jafar's villains, antagonists, manage to accomplish much, despite the fact that they are idiots. On the other they've hand, they've done a lot of damage. They've done a lot of damage. On the other hand, I don't want to be the person on this podcast who gives a point to anti-vaxxers. I appreciate that. Um, I mean, it's not a positive point to anti-vaxxers. You, you're not anti-vaxxers. Don't get to go to the finals if you give them the point. You know, <laughs> you can promise me that. Yeah, I can promise you, anti-vaxxers will not be going to the finals. And I can pr promise you, you won't. They won't be going to the finals if you give the point to me. <laughs> I'm not giving the point to anti-vaxxers. I'm giving the point to Jafar. Um, because anti-vax is the most slippery foe of all, which is ignorance. Um, and ignorance will be the will be the antagonist that destroys this this world, uh, for for sure. Um, it won't take uh, cunning, conniving plans by aliens. We're gonna, we're gonna do it. We're gonna do it ourselves. We're gonna do it ourselves real easily. And I'm super. Ugh. I'm super depressed now. 
Okay, well, maybe talking about something you like will cheer you up, Chris. Because you got a couple picks, and you like at least two of your three that are left. Okay. And you do have the next pick in a match versus me. Excellent. Yeah, you know what? It's time. Um, hey, editor. Well, why don't you play that sting again? I think you're editing this one. Wait, we're, late. we're letting the sting play? We're letting okay. it play. You don't okay. have to do that. <laughs> Resident Visions. I'm not in the mood. Not in the mood. Mood's a thing for cattle and love play, not fighting. Not in the mood for details. Now you listen to me. Details, and I want them right now. I don't have a job. I have no place to go. You're not in the mood. Well, you get in the mood. Present visions of Dune. That's right. Welcome back to Prescient Visions of Dune. I am going to choose Dune 2020, the film as yet to have to have been released, uh, which is currently being created by. Dennis Villeneuve. So, uh, Dune's got a lot of religious uh, undertones and overtones. Oh, hold on. I didn't play the outro stinger. We don't have one yet. There we go. We, don't, we, we haven't made the outro stinger yet. Okay, maybe... I, I thought we were just going to play the entire intro stinger, but in reverse. No. <laughs> no. No. Um, maybe, maybe there'll be an outro stinger one day, but it's not for this episode. Um, anyways, Dune has lots of religious undertones and overtones. I'm going to go ahead and take Protestantism. Okay, sure. Okay, this one's going to be interesting. Give your reboot an M. Night Shyamala twist. <laughs> Chris? Um, okay. So, uh, the origins of the, the universe in Dune are actually our own world, right? Mm -hmm. um, because the, <clears throat> excuse me, the Fremen are descended from, uh, from the Jewish people uh, who uh, ended up fleeing from persecution from the planet and then the galaxy, eventually finding refuge. It got real weird and messy because they're also kind of like, there's definite elements of like Kabbalah in the Bene Gesserit. Um, the way that they're written. Um, but, right, so, so the, the the past of Dune is our present. Yes. I think the M. Night Shyamalan twist. Shyamalan? Shyamalan. Shyamalan. Not Chalamet. The M. Night Shyamalan. Shyamalan? Shyamalan? Shyamalan. The M. Night Shyamalan twist. Um, of Dune is that the future of Dune is also our present. Because all of this has happened before, and all of it will happen again, and also Dune is Battlestar Galactic. Okay. Well, Dune's Battlestar Galactica after they win. Or it, before they win. It's No, it stops the cycle. That's the, that's the Balerian Jihad. They stop the cycle of fighting with robots. But, the, but they're fighting... But they're fighting with themselves. Yeah, but that's not Battlestar Galactica. Battlestar Galactica's about fighting fucking robots. And Dune's got that, and it's over. No, no, no. Battlestar Galactica is about weird pseudo-Greek Mormon overtones. Okay. And I think the actual twist <laughs> is when, at the very far end of Dune, uh, the the old man, uh, was it the old man of the desert, the, the great sandworm, 
yeah. moves to a small uh, uh, western town and uh, tries to kill uh, Kevin Bacon. <laughs> and his Trevors. Okay. I'm, t- I'm sorry. Okay. Can, can, you, can I have five minutes right now? <laughs> because I would like five minutes to connect the world of Tremors to Jingle All the Way and complete a thematic sort of circle for us. Just fill Just up. work on it for next time. Complete okay. our podcast Ouroboros. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, I mean, the, the Ouroboros was, was completed the second we started this podcast because we started it with our heads so far up our asses. Um, but it's a beautiful circle, isn't it? No. All right, you're fair. Oh, so, uh, Gritty, uh, what a twist on Protestantism here. Yep. Tithe? Tithe? Am I, am I saying that word properly? Tithing. Tithing. Yes. Tithing? Yes. Well, I was using the non Tithe. Tithe? Tithe. Yep. Tithe. You can forgive him. He's never done it. <laughs> no. No, I haven't. Nor have I. <laughs> um, uh, tithes are secret indulgences all along. What a twist. <laughs> I mean, working it out. I don't like either of these. <laughs> uh, but the Pope was Martin Luther all along. Uh, I don't, I don't, because uh, I do tithe and that makes me feel weird. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, but you're practically Catholic. Kinda. Uh, um, this is not an area that our our podcast sh- ought to be very comfortable in. I don't think. I uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, you I'm literally worried. described being Anglican to me as being Catholic light before. Yeah, it, it is all the it's all the Catholic uh, all of the uh, Catholicism, none of the Pope. Uh, yeah. And you guys are missing out recently. You take what you can get. That's, there have been times where they've come out on the winning side of that equation. Um, but just because I'm, I'm, I don't know which one will cause more damnation for my soul. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll go with uh, uh, I'll go with uh, tithing and Protestantism. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> um, I'll take it. I don't understand your reasoning. But that's not my place. Um, I hope that you make the right decision the next time the wheel spins, Ben. Because Dune is also the wheel of time. That oh, one's no. going to take some more explaining. And we're already like an hour into this episode. So not today. You just you hold on to that one for next time we drop that stinger. Okay? Ben and Chris, you are the next match. Hmm. All right, I will go with King Arthur, 2004. I will go with My 30s, 2019. Okay. Which reboot is the grittiest? Ben? Well, the reboot of King Arthur has... The events of the Arthurian legend take place during the Roman retreat from from Britain and ends with... A lot of people dying. Uh, Good guys, bad guys, it doesn't matter. At the very end of the film, there's basically three people left. And it takes hundreds and hundreds of pages 
of Arthurian tales for for as much of the round table to die as they cram into an hour and a half movie. Okay. Chris? I am 30. I do not own a house. That's pretty gritty, isn't it? Seems more standard. Pretty run of the run of the mill these days. Okay, I can I, I can take another another tact on this. Um, I just recently turned thirty, right? And like most people who who have turned thirty, I feel my age a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel it definitely in my knees, mm-hmm. uh, in my back, right? Definitely, there's. Your back is not as as uh, as springy as it used to be. No. Um, there's. I, I have this feeling that I might have done my last uh, somersault. <laughs> um, cartwheel, rather. I think I could probably do a somersault. I wouldn't like it. <laughs> but I think that I've done my last... Um, yeah, maybe, you know. Uh, you know, and a lot of these things are, are universal experiences of turning 30. But I think that turning 30 is just a pretty gritty experience, right? You know, like the weird phone calls you start getting at all hours of night uh, from from weird, distorted voices uh, telling you to, to do very strange um, and sometimes unspeakable things. Um, uh, I, di- I didn't bury, can, I don't, yeah, I didn't I don't bury a body no. um, until I, I turned 30. I didn't jump off of a cliff until I turned 30. Um, it's, been, it's been like two months, Chris. <laughs> it's been an eventful few months. <laughs> Wait, I thought it was two days. I didn't have my first fugue state until I was in my thirties. <laughs> okay, okay. Um. Well, yeah. Uh, things sound. Has anybody seen my rough. animal mask? I need uh, my animal mask. Things sound pretty rough. I haven't seen that since the Halloween party. Uh. Yeah. Um. But you've got another nine years to go. Imagine what will happen. Um. I don't imagine you running around kill- getting killed in England. Like, everyone in the King Arthur movie that Ben picked. They couldn't get anywhere else. Of course they're going to get killed in England. Um, they could have gotten killed in Scotland. Yeah. They could have gotten on a boat and gotten killed in Ireland. I mean, half of the people who die in that movie are Saxons who came over on a boat. It's true. Um, regardless, uh, in the interest of asking you to choose joy, Chris, I'm going to pick Ben. But in doing so, you have not chosen joy for me. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to choose Jaffer, the joy. Jaffer, I don't choose joy would, for you. What you would bring joy. me joy is if you gave this point to me, Jafar. Um, <laughs> Chris's pick does not spark joy. <laughs> to be let's, fair, yours doesn't really either. It's a pretty good movie if you watch the unrated version. Let's be clear here. Um, sparking joy and choosing joy are two different things. One's legal now. Both are legal. I appreciate your joke, Ben. Yeah. All right. So the spi- scores going into the final are I've got three points, Ben, you've got two, and Chris, you've got one. So the finals are going to be Ben and I. <clears throat> you've further deprived me of joy by <laughs> denying you another chance to pick Dune and play the stinger again. <laughs> <laughs> Unless one of our criteria has secretly been altered. <laughs> no. We don't get to talk about reboot season three now. That's your fault. Yeah, that's, I mean. I was saving it as the strongest of my picks for the finale. Okay. 
Well, I'm going to go with uh, grunge. I'll just finish it off. Right. Well, I feel very prepared to talk about how gritty Babe 2 Pig in the City is. And it is. It starts off with Farmer Hockett in the hospital and ends up with Mrs. Hockett being arrested. It's weird. Uh, the response I got when I picked that one does not have me believing that you guys are ready for me to go deep d on a deep dive into Babe 2 Pig in the City. Oh, We're don't, not. Don't, <laughs> not. don't stop on our, on our behalf. I've never done the same thing for you guys. That's true. <laughs> uh, but I'm going to go with my favorite one. I'm going to go with Star Trek Deep Space Nine. All right. All right, let's reach in and scoop up another handful of sand here. <clears throat> Botany Bay. Oh, oh no. no. <laughs> <laughs> you need to see Wrath of Khan, Chris. <laughs> I, know, I know what Botany Bay is. It's the ship that Khan is on. What makes that makes sense? Because yeah. Botany Bay is the, the place. prison. Yeah, yeah. Um, the prison that, uh, um, oh, Vin Diesel and Pitch Black. Uh, uh, Riddick. Yeah, Riddick escapes from. Well, also real. It's also a real place. Oh, cool. Botany Bay is in Australia. I know. Okay. <laughs> Which is the biggest change from the previous version? All right. Well, uh... Like a version. Yeah, if we're taking grunge and we're looking at its immediate predecessor, which would be New Wave, does that seem... I'm, I'm putting that out to the table before so I make in, a case. In so much as there is really immediate predecessors in music... You can pretty much choose the narrative you want to address here because all of them are wrong in some way and all of them are right in another. Yeah. Well, I mean, if we're going to go and just call it a reboot of classical music and go back as far as we can really go to instruments, um, grunge is very different than classical music. There, there are words. Um, the instruments are powered. And have distortion applied to the sounds. Let's let's say let's, let's go new way. Let's, <laughs> let's say for the purposes of of, of remaining fair, um, the previous ten years worth of music. Okay. <laughs> um. So in the in the eighties, mm -hmm. which we'll just call grunge started in like proto grunge was in the mid eighties, and you know there's all that stuff. But we'll just take popular grunge, which was I don't know. Uh, Nevermind came out in 91, like, I want to say. So we'll just say early 90s, very yeah. late 80s kind of a range. We'll just take a look at the 80s. Um, you've got New Wave. Um, you've got Synth Pop coming yeah, around punk. for the first time. Punk is 70s. really more of a 70s thing. Punk's still <laughs> around, but punk did not originate in the 80s. All right. Um, I mean, I think Clash, Alone, and Calling came out in 74? I'd have to look know. that up. But yeah. You've got arena metal. Yeah, you've got arena metal. You've got hair metal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, which hair metal and grunge, I guess, are a little bit closer than the others, only because they've got electric guitar prominently featured. Um, <laughs> but a lot of... The Beatles have electric guitar prominently featured. But they also have long hair. Well, it's just, well I'm also segueing right now. In so, hair metal, it's washed. Fucking, and I'm also segueing right now. So <laughs> I like that he has to declare that he's doing I'm it. trying to get to something. I had a funny joke. Did you? Yeah. 
in hair metal, the long hair is washed. In grunge, it's not. Okay. That's the major difference between okay. the two. Okay, yeah, that's that, that's fair. Major difference between the two. All right, um, so e- you e- have... Equal amounts of acid wash. You have new wave and synth pop and drum machines and the first 808s and everything, and you've got computer-generated music. There's someone... This, we're still at the point where there are people putting it into the computer, but we've removed the person playing the instrument. And grunge is a direct counterstatement to that. Grunge gets things wrong on purpose. Grunge relishes in human error in playing and the live form of music that you don't get when you've got a drum machine playing the same beat on tour every night. All right. So, Star Trek the original series, and by extension, Star Trek the Next Generation, were based on the idea of wagon train in space. It is a group of people moving throughout space, going from place to place and having adventures. The radical shift they did in uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine is it is still a Western motif, but it is the Western fort. It is the fort town. It is the stationary place that everyone from the region comes to to have adventures, but they aren't going out. Or when they go out, they are away from the safety and comfort of what the, the, the wagon train. So when they're going out, they're not in the Enterprise. They are away from Deep Space Nine, the thing that keeps them safe. And so the stories that it tells are definitively different because it is either the, the outside coming at them you know, it is the the invaders at the gates, and you are the fort stopping the bad guys. You are not the warship. And when they do have the ships, it is, we are out away from the safety of our fort. It is, we are away from our support structure, and we are more exposed because of that. We are not out there in the great battleship. We are out there in a van, trying to get some science done, or uh, <laughs> see what's going on. <laughs> and just an apprevia, man. Yeah. By the nature of we are the fort, they have more like as I mentioned last time, reoccurring villains. The bad guys are still just over that hill, and they can interact with you a lot. And sometimes it's you're working together to deal with some environmental problem, and sometimes they're back to scheming and being evil and sneaky. Mm-hmm. But they're still there. Because you're in the fort. You don't leave. And if you need somebody to take care of them, you have to call in the cavalry. And then You they, are not the cavalry. But the cavalry doesn't get there in time. Not always. And, and sometimes it and, does. And so, and so you all die without leaving the fort. No. They, Deep Space Nine is the Alamo, right? No. Although no. it kind of is. No, because it's not a point. bunch of cowboys going out to die fighting the Mexicans. You're correct in that there are no cowboys in Deep Space Nine. Literally. Also, well, the, Al- <laughs> the Alamo is a mission. It was not a fort designed to protect an area. It is a place where a bunch of people trying to pick a fight to start a, a war ended up doing their last stand. I mean, I would make the argument that applies exactly to Deep Space Nine until Season 4 when they actually fortify it. Before then, it's a glorified ore processing plant. But we're not a Star Trek podcast, and... <laughs> I'm just going to let my nerd flag fly and go over to my corner. 
I want to have this discussion over dinner, though. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, shit. This is a really tough one. Can I flip a coin? Sure. Would not be the first time. I I think that both of you guys did wonderfully. And also, um, I don't want to be... uh, I don't want to be the focus of all of your um, hostilities after I make uh, the wrong call. That's not how it's not how this works. Yeah, you say that. I think you're projecting, Chris. How did you sit back? How are you feeling right now, Chris? Tell me about your parents. I'm feeling really uh, on the spot. I don't like being the judge in the last round because I'm always disappointing one person. That's the nature of the game. Kind of it like rolls I'm, off our back. We don't care. Kind of, kind of like I'm always, you know, letting my my one of my parents, at least one of my parents, down. Um, and how does that make you feel? Makes me feel wonderful. Ah, so you like letting people down. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of a fetish. Oh, okay. That would explain your relationships. Mm. That'll be $5,000. Cool Jaffair wins. <laughs> In all reality, I might have flipped that coin. I think, however, though, that looking at Kurt Cobain next to any member of a hair metal band, <laughs> that's a bigger change. They were still wearing kind of the same outfits in Deep Space Nine as they were in Next I'm Gen. actually really proud of my argument there, but no, no, I'm okay with it. I'm really, I'm really proud of your argument yeah, there, too. I mean, too. your film studies paper gets a B plus, so... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's that, Ben. You do get to pick the next topic. That's true. And Beyblades. No. <laughs> For the next episode, we're going to be drafting our number one, number twos. We're drafting henchmen. Okay. All right. The, our number one, number twos? Yes. That's messy. Um We'll we'll workshop it and come back with it next week, especially because we're we're drafting five. It'll be your, your top five number twos. Yes, which at that point is tens. Yeah, what's what's the order of operations on that? Is that tens? All right. Um, well, I've got uh, a hench <laughs> that this next draft will be okay. I'm not, I, I don't feel, I don't have strong feelings about it. It's fine. Yeah. Well, thanks as always to the Kickstand Band for our theme song, How It Feels. You can find the music at thekickstandband.bank.com. Feel free to shoot us an email at draftuniversegmail.com. Let us know your favorite henchman. And you can join the conversation on Facebook.com slash Draft the Universe, on Twitter at Draft the First, where Ben will talk at you, or on either platform using the hashtag Draft the Universe. We'll Bye-bye. see you next week.
This isn't a five paragraph essay. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> I'm trying to write it comedically. All right. That's why we could help. <laughs> Give your reboot an M. Night Shama twist is what I have right now. Okay. Okay. Um, so what are some prominent M. Night Shyamalan twists? Uh, you've got that the village was uh, in the modern world. Yeah. Um, um, you've got... Uh, everybody in Avatar was white. Um... I mean, twists usually come at the back half, not... I mean, he started not, off not with the, the twist. Casting. <laughs> uh, secretly, your film is about another film. It's mm. <laughs> a common one. Yeah. Um, one of the people in this elevator is the devil. Yeah. <laughs> Which is not so much a twist as it is the setup of, of a film. Mm-hmm. We spent this whole movie making you think these people were crazy, but actually there's a secret society devoted to suppressing superheroes in the real world. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, I, I've never actually seen an M. Night Shyamalan movie. Oh, you know, there's some good ones. Dead Kid. Uh, Edit, editor's note here. Ben. Yeah? I'm making a bit. You're going to know what it is beforehand. Don't fucking ruin it. Okay. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, we can do that? I, we have not done that before, but I'm asking nicely, and I'm going to clap again, and this is all going to get edited out, so it doesn't matter.